If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. So tell me about the ponies. The pony swim is, you know, they round up all the ponies from Assateague and they swim them across the water. So, you know, the town thrives off of that. Um, Pony swim week is, you know, basically the busiest week down there. Um, And the people really care about them. You know, I think they say that there's 40,000 people that come just for the pony swim just that one day. Um, just to see them swim across the water, pretty much. <laughs> so that's what a lot of the businesses are named after. Um, you know, most of the businesses have pony somewhere in the name, and that's also how we came up with the name Sandy Pony Donuts, too. This is Our Americana, a bi-weekly podcast where we'll explore small towns across the country and get to know the people who call them home. Join us every other week as we head to some of our most unique and charming communities and talk to the locals about their lives, their histories, their relationships, and how these small towns are adapting and evolving as more and more young professionals are being priced out of urban areas and heading to small town America. But not without bringing metropolitan culture, ideas, and expectations with them. I'm Josh Hallmark, and this is Our Americana. Welcome back. You made it to episode two. Thanks for being here. This week we are heading to Chincoteague Island, which is off the coast of Virginia. It's world famous for its wild ponies and becoming nationally famous for its large population of food trucks. Uh, Before we get into the episode, though, I have to warn you, there is a little bit of cussing. So if that's not for you, um, maybe join us next week. Before we dive into Chincoteague, I wanted to tell you a little more about how Our Americana came to be. About a year ago, my boyfriend Andrew and I quit our lives in Seattle, bought an old camper van, and set off to see America. We spent six months on the road. We saw 40 states and about 80 different cities and towns. And it really changed my idea of what America is and what it means to be American. I think the biggest eye-opener was small towns. My whole life I thought of small towns as places you drive through to get to important cities, as places that lacked culture and diversity. But what we saw on the road was that 
isn't necessarily the case. I've also noticed that the small town landscape is changing. Through my interviews for this podcast, I found more and more that millennials and even Gen Xers are giving up city life to move to small towns. And I think a lot of it is not just being priced out of big cities, but a yearning to participate in a community at a local level, to feel like your voice matters, to feel like the voices of the people around you matter, and to really just know who's living around you and to be able to support them and hope that they'll support you. I think my generation really yearns to be a part of something, and small towns really provide that in a way that cities never can. And so I thought it was important to tell that story, and to not only tell it myself, but let the people who are living in small towns tell it. And that's how Our Americana came to be. When I first heard about an island that ran rampant with wild ponies and food trucks, I knew I had to go there. So when we decided to take our trip, it was high on the list of destinations. Chincoteague is a really interesting place. It's charming, it's beautiful, it's both rural and cosmopolitan. I haven't been to any place quite like it. And as I've talked to people for this podcast, it's really changed my view on the island. I've learned that this charming island is also very, very protective and steeped in tradition, and that maybe the famous ponies and the island's relationship with them isn't quite as charming as I originally thought it was. More on that later. For this episode, I talked to three different couples. Two best friends who have spent most of their lives on the island, a couple who's been on the island for about five years but only recently opened a gourmet donut food truck, and two sisters-in-law who recently arrived and are still trying to find their footing on Chincoteague. First up, I talked to the donut people, Bria and Ben. Bria's been on the island for about five years. She was working at NASA for a while. Only recently, she and Ben decided to open up their donut food truck and its sister store in Annapolis. So I actually got a job at Wallops Island right after college, which is about 10 miles from Chincoteague. So I moved down there about five years ago uh, specifically for that job. And then since moving there, um, I just knew that like the island needed more things that were different because a lot of things it's, it's just like seafood down there you know there weren't many like different food options so you know ben and i talked about like a few different things that we could bring there and then um donuts were really on the rise in like the last two years um so we settled on that there wasn't like a lot of like outside businesses coming onto the island it was more of just family owned and you know it's been original there for probably the last 20 years right like nothing new. Yeah. And then as soon as we moved on, a lot of newer businesses started rolling on like a couple months after us. Six months later, there was more people that worked for Wallops or, and NASA that were trying to open smaller businesses on the island. Seems like you guys have kind of inspired a trend because I think of Chincoteague as the island of food trucks and ponies. Well, we can't take 
full credit. Yeah. So, yeah. like, there's a place um, that is next to us, kind of next to us, called Woody's. And, you know, yeah, he's got everything built around his trailer, so to where it looks like a, an actual, you know, walk-around outdoor restaurant. Yeah, like, his don't really look like trailers, but, but yeah. they are. He started, what, eight or nine years ago? Yeah. So he was really the first. We were kind of the first ones to actually... Be very be, mobile. Yeah, you know, instead of building outdoor scenery around the trailer and all that stuff, you know, we kind of just put it up and that was it you know all these other places built around it but we kind of you know looked at at how all these other people were getting these businesses started without actually you know getting a building and it's just tough in Chincoteague because the sea level is 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 right there and getting permits and stuff for a restaurant is a pain just because you know it's a small island and the rules and regulations are, are extremely strict and the way around it is getting a food truck. But um, after this year, after we moved on, they've you know we know the health department pretty well now. But even they have cracked down on all these people trying to move on the island. And a lot of the local business owners and property owners aren't even leasing to these businesses anymore. You know, ever since we moved on, there was a couple. There were like two or three after us, and it was like that was just enough for the island to have. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really seen anything too new move on, but it's good to have the local support, you know, that we've made it just in time, it feels like, to, like, become, you know, one with the local businesses. Well, and also, like, the three that moved on um, basically around the same time that we did, it's it's also very good quality food. They use try to use local products as much as possible, fresh, you know, it's just, it's something different. It's gourmet, and the island needed you know, just different things. And so I think that the, all the food trucks that are there currently are giving food trucks a very good name. At least that's my opinion. And I hope, you know, that the locals and the vacationers see that too. As the first people kind of coming in who were not locals and creating a business, what was the reception like? The locals were actually pretty supportive um, of us. Bria has been living there for the last four years. so I'm sure that helped. Yeah, like I knew a lot of the local people, and I mean, they're all very, very friendly. And I had kind of done my time there as working at NASA. Um, A lot of the local people work there. So it's not like I just came on and brought this food truck, you know. I had been living there for a reason, and um, it was just something extra that we wanted to pursue because we just knew it would do really well. So the locals were really supportive, and then, of course, the vacationers reacted really well, too. But at the same time, you know, from the local standpoint, they told us that if, you know, you did something wrong, if they didn't want you there, you would know right away. How did that make you feel? Um, <laughs> it kind of gave me a high because I, I, I'm, I'm, like, really into the whole um, starting new businesses. And so it was kind of like one of those things, like, we're going to win these people over no matter what we have to do. We introduced ourselves by taking them donuts and just telling them who we were and what we were doing. And I think that really helped. That feels um, very, um, I guess, traditional and old school. Yeah. yeah. And that's what that island is, you know, because you figure it all, you know, they're all family owned and they're all from the area. And the last thing they want is to have another business come on the island and t- to take away from what they have there going on for them and what's, what's worked the last 30 years, 40 years for them. How does it feel to be part of a community that's so protective? feels pretty good mm-hmm. because even though I'm not down there this much this summer, you know, we go to all the local restaurants. You know, we know a lot of the local watermen. And for them to recognize 
myself, you know, they already know Bria for the last five years, but for them to recognize me and, you know, what I drive when I come on the island and they're like waving to him as he's driving down the road. (laughs) Like, Hey, you're back. And it's funny because I walk into the dollar store. I don't even know what the name of it is, but I walk in there and they're like, what's up donut man. And you know, I haven't been on the island in the last six months, but it's like, it's really, it really makes your heart feel good that, that these people, they're like family to you after you've only been there for a year, if that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Like I always kind of grew up in big cities or in the suburbs of big cities. And when we took this trip, it really became, a, like I always thought of small towns as just places you pass through to get to big cities. <laughs> and I realized this trip, small towns make up 90% of the country. And they re- like there are so many wonderfully charming, special small towns. And it really kind of created a paradigm shift for me where it was like, maybe it's not about leaving the small town for the big city, but working really hard in the big city so you can move to a small town. Yeah, like there's a saying, um, like everyone's working to be noticed, but I'm just working to disappear. And I love that saying. I think it's, it's awesome. Oh, good Lord. What do you want to know about the ponies and the town's obsession with them? <laughs> I guess exactly that. <laughs> this is Rosie and Kate. They only recently got to the island, and they also opened a food truck. They're having a little tougher of a time acclimating than Bria and Ben. Uh, so there was a book called The Misty of Shinkatig, and it started... Uh, I, I mean, the ponies have been here... But I think the book really made it a destination for little kids all over the world to come and see these wild ponies. And they, I mean, they have their own fan club. People, they name them. They have, the bookstore sells flashcards of their name and their story. So if you see one, you can look and be like, oh, that one's name is Stormy. And it was born a certain, you know, on a certain date and... It's from the lineage of Misty, who's the, you know, queen of all horses. And, <laughs> um, yeah, people love, people love the ponies. You seem a little put off by the ponies. <laughs> Does it feel kind of like a cheap tourist attraction, or is it just something that you don't entirely understand the draw? Like, I just, I don't know. I would say it's somewhere in between those two. Like, I do kind of think it's a bit of a gimmick. And yet, I don't understand why. Ev- I don't know why everyone's obsessed why everyone with it. comes here. Like, why would you go on vacation to see wild ponies? I just. I mean, it's I cool that it. it's one of the few places where there are wild ponies, and the volunteer fire department. They, you know, in Virginia, they take care of them and they give them uh, veterinary checkups and all of that stuff. Um, uh, yeah, at the same time, I don't understand quite the obsession that is fueled around them. You know, pony tours, pony souvenirs, pony this, pony that. Everything has a pony. But it's it. a huge industry. So yeah. if they if they were not here, I, I honestly don't know what would happen to the island. Like if for any reason the ponies were to ever be gone. I don't think Shinkatig would continue to be a vacation destination, at least as successful as it is now. But on the other (laughs) hand, it's a big birding destination, too. People come from all over to see the migratory birds, which is 
also not something I really understand the draw of, but it's kind of cool. So, hey, if they want to come eat tacos while they look at <laughs> birds, I'm all for it. We've talked about going birding for birders. <laughs> Go to the refuge. We want to do try birding to- bingo. Birding bingo. <laughs> and we check out all the different kinds of birders and what they're looking for. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you know if we ever come up with the bingo cards. Yeah. <laughs> So what brought you guys there? So the business is Kate and myself and our husbands, who are twin brothers, Nate and Dylan. And we came to Shinkatig uh, originally because a friend of ours that we went to culinary school with opened a uh, trailer-type restaurant such as we have. He opened it with his parents about eight years ago. So that was our first introduction to the island. Within the past two years, two and a half years, uh, we started looking for somewhere to open a place of our own. And generally, we just looked like eastern seaboard. Uh, we looked as far north as Portland, Maine, and as far west as Pittsburgh, just kind of some different places. And uh, because of the connection with Dan, who had opened the restaurant here previously, Rosie was in touch with his mother, who suggested potentially coming to look here. And what did you think when you first got there? I had never been here before we moved here. Um, Rosie, Dylan, and Nate had come down to look at the properties, and I was still working, and I never came with them. So she jumped in blind. When we moved, (laughs) (laughs) we moved here, it was like end of February, beginning of March. It was cold and rainy and dark, and nothing was open, and all I kept saying to Nate, oh my god, why did you bring me here? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but it's gotten better, so. Yeah. That's no, good. You see, you see the island kind of comes alive as it gets closer to summertime, and you realize why why it's such a nice place to live uh, once the summer rolls around. But by the time the summer's over, you're ready for that calm, quiet island to come back, I guess. So how is it living in such a small, remote, desolate town? I thought I came from a small town until I moved here and realized that, you know, you hear about those towns where everyone knows everyone and everything you do, the whole town knows about. I thought I came from one of those little rural towns and I, I was mistaken. This is what those people were talking about (laughs) you know you can't do anything without the whole the whole island without it coming back to you essentially you know you see you see someone at uh walking down the street or you see him at uh at the grocery store or you see him at a restaurant and they go oh didn't you go on such and such a vacation to california how was that and you look at them like do i know your name (laughs) How did you know I went on a vacation? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely has its its perks. I mean, we can go the entire summer just riding our bikes and walking pretty much everywhere. But at the same time, everywhere means, like, the very small grocery store and, I don't know, maybe the movie theater. 
Maybe. The one that's only open on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and only plays one movie a month. Yeah, but like Rosie said, everyone knows. I mean, Nate and I got married a few months ago, and so many people have come up to us since then and said, oh, I heard you got married. Congratulations. And that's kind of cool. And you have no idea who they are. Yeah. But they know you. (laughs) And they just, they're happy for you, which is really kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your reception? I feel like opening a business in such a small town might be a little like, I don't know, are people going to welcome us? Are we going to be run out of town because we're foreigners? How did that go? We were really worried about that because everyone told us that people who are not from here are not really... Accepted. Yeah, accepted or welcomed, but we've met some really great people. Yeah. If If there are people on the island that don't accept us... At least they don't make themselves known. <laughs> so we had we had a lot of support, and most of them told us that the the locals can tell if you're good people or not. And I guess we passed the test. We kind of I don't want to say keep to ourselves, but I guess that's the only way of really putting it. A lot of people did stop by when we first started working on the property and we're getting ready to open, and you could tell they were just kind of feeling it out and seeing what we were doing and what our intentions were and where we were from, which was a little unsettling at first. But I I think most people really did mean well. I think everyone is just so used to knowing everything about everyone else that they don't have any hesitation to come up to you and just ask, what are you doing and why are you doing this and (laughs) where are you from and what are your intentions here? Yeah. Kind of. What are your intentions with this island? (laughs) So do you feel like you've become part of the community or do you feel like you're just kind of quiet observers? I feel like we might be on the fringes. We're not totally... We're not Tigers yet. So we are We are definitely still come here, but we, are, we want to be involved. We want to do things. We started helping out, doing some catering things for the local museum and donating to the high school after prom and things like that that trying to show our willingness to be one of the community and I, I think that's really uh, uh, responded well with a lot of people because I don't think everyone I don't think all the come here's try to do that we'd probably do more if we had more time like yeah. we'd actually go physically do things but we really spend all our time working so yeah it's not always an option do you think it's odd the dichotomy that the town is so I guess not adverse to outsiders, but a little protective, yet it thrives on tourism. Yeah. I well, do. I think that's it. Uh, I was going to compare it to Ocean City. So a little really so a little farther north of us is Ocean City, Maryland. And I think a lot of the people are terrified that the area will turn into Ocean City. Um, it's which much is, more commercial and built up. They also thrive on tourism. They, you know, they have a season like we do, but it's, uh, yeah, like Kate said, much more commercialized. And it's over the years, it's lost a lot of its character because it's, you know, people people go to the party and there's a, a lot of crime there now. And I think people are very nervous about outsiders coming in because they don't want it to turn into uh, an ocean city and just be overrun with tourism. But at the same time, without a little bit of it, there's 
no jobs. So Yeah, we drove through Ocean City on our way out and it definitely had kind of a dateline vibe. Yeah, and, and I you know, where I grew up everyone vacationed to Ocean City and so I I've seen it over the years become built up more and more and more and um Shinkatig has not done that. Like you see a little bit of modernizing, but not not like Ocean City. So what's funny is it's modernized, but kind of in um, like it still I keeps using... its Shinkatig vibe. It still keeps its a little bit of its roots, I suppose. Yeah, it's kind of almost modernized in a trendy way. Like it reminds me a lot of some of the West Coast towns that have become you know quiet tourist meccas. Yeah, the street food thing is really peculiar, and I haven't seen it anywhere else on the East Coast, but as soon as you pull into town, there's food carts and food trucks and little street vendors everywhere. What do you what do you think it is that kind of creates that community there? Well, I think what happens there <laughs> is because there's no, there's no septic, no town-wide septic. Um, so we, without being in a building that already has a septic system, we could not have opened a restaurant necessarily. And like you, using a, a trailer is kind of a way around that. Yeah. And so around the expense of putting one in. So it's like accidentally cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and I think it just kind of right place, right time, you know, all over the country, there's food trucks all over the place. And the difference between you know, a food truck in Portland or Austin or San Diego or something like that. And Shinkatig is that, you know, yeah, we're mobile and we can move, but we rent the land that we're on and we stay put. <laughs> and we're really lucky in that we don't have to move every day. So yeah. it's not like anyone has to find us. They, they know exactly where we are. We have a physical address and yeah. we're not going anywhere. Oh, do you feel like being in such a small place forces you to be maybe a little more extroverted? Yeah, I probably talk to people more at like the grocery store than I normally would have. <laughs> I try to, I tend to try to get out there and make friends and I find myself in a lot of awkward situa- situations trying to make friends and I've gotten over that a little bit like this is just going to be awkward and I'm going to see you all the time so let's get over this. <laughs> I have this mini relationship going on with one of the guys at the grocery store. He definitely thinks that I don't have my shit together. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think that? Every time I go there, I have forgotten my wallet or I'm on a bike and I need to shove all the groceries into my backpack because I don't have a basket. I forgot my keys and had to call Dylan to bring my wallet and my keys. five times in that one day. I went, yeah, (laughs) there was the big baking powder incident where I had to go to the grocery store about five times. And at one point he looked at me like, again, do you have your keys? Do you have your wallet? I'm like, I have everything this time. But he doesn't know my name and I don't know his name. But if we ever see each other out, we wave and we have like a whole conversation and be like, hey, how's it going? But neither one of us knows each other's name. Our girl, Tracy, that works for us, she uh, she presses out all of our tortillas, and she's a tiger, and she, she tries to teach us the lingo, how to say certain things, and she'll talk to us about certain people that apparently we should know, and we have no idea who they are, and she's like, you know, so-and-so's son, and so so-and-so's daughter. Theory, we know all the gossip on the island, except we have no idea who any of the people are. Yeah, it's like we're it's like a fictional book that, that she's it, telling us about. I feel like that could be a really fun game, though. Like, trying to identify... It's highly entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it, 
I mean, yeah. it makes all the prep work in the morning sometimes go by a lot more quickly because I feel like I'm listening to like a radio show or something. <laughs> <laughs> the Tracy radio hour. Yeah, it's like Lake Wobegon, but not because it's a lot less wholesome. <laughs> Most of the time. Really? I never would have thought Chincoteague is a scandalous <laughs> island. Uh, it has its moments. I think anywhere, any small place has its secrets. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, that's what's putting food on your table, but how do you feel about the hordes of tourists coming in all summer long? I mean, like you said, this is our business. This is what we do. I think I really have an issue with people who live on this island and support themselves through the tourism industry and do nothing but complain about the tourists and the traffic and people say really negative things and are really hard on tourists but you know they're not just here but everywhere they're just visiting and they're gonna go home and it's only a couple months out of the year so i don't have a problem with it but i've always been in tourism related industries so it's always always, something i've dealt with we've always worked in tourist towns and it's just something you need to understand that they're going to come there's a disney movie called a bug's life and when the grasshoppers are all coming the ants are sitting there going they come they eat they leave they come they eat they leave and sometimes it feels that way because there's so many of them you just to think they're going to come, they're going to eat, and they're going to leave. But uh, I like the beginning and the end of the season a little better when there's a little less people because you actually get to talk to people and you get to hear where they're from and you get to hear their stories. And that's a lot more fun than when there's just hordes of people coming, eating, and leaving. But a lot of times when it's busy like that, we just kind of tell ourselves this is what we wanted. This is why we're here. This is why we chose this place. And this is why this, this is, is what's why we're able to be successful. Yeah. How has your relationship with the town changed in the time that you've been there? I think I make a more concerted effort to go into the local little shops and support places. And because I, I mean, they're doing the same thing we're doing. So if we can kind of help them, then it's worth it. I think I grow to like it more and more every day. The things that seemed not so great, like being so far away from things and having it be so quiet in the wintertime that might have started out as maybe a negative part of the island. Now I look at them as maybe a positive thing, as a pro. Like, I really enjoy going to yoga and there was no place to go to yoga. And one girl decided that she was going to have a yoga class in one of the conference rooms of one of the hotels. I thought that was a negative thing that I had one option of where to go to yoga. And now I really love going there. And I have more of a sense of a community than if I had five or six different options. What's your favorite thing about being there? I'm kind of torn on this one because my first thought that popped into my head was just being so close to the beach. (laughs) The beach we never go to. The beach, (laughs) yeah, that we rarely get to go to. But it is so nice to drive five minutes or ride your bike and be able to just hang out on the beach. I just, I really like being somewhere that you can walk or ride your bike everywhere. I just think that's so nice and convenient and... Because of that, I learned how to ride a bike. Yeah, Rosie learned how to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. I don't know what my favorite thing about the island is. Is it cliche to say the sunsets? I don't know. It's just such a peaceful thing for me. Yeah, it was beautiful. 
it's Chincoteague just has really beautiful sunsets, more beautiful than many, many places that I've been. And no matter how bad of a day I have, it's just very calming and very peaceful to see the colors in the sky and to to relax. It's funny, we when our trip ended, we moved to Brooklyn, and I, I had no desire to live here, especially after being on the road for so long. I just mm-hmm. felt like there were a lot purer, better places in America, but my partner is an apparel designer, and this was just kind of where those jobs are. Mm-hmm. And I that was it for me. Like I would sit in this room and kind of be like, oh, I don't want to go outside, I hate it here. But I would see these gorgeous, gorgeous sunsets and the way that the light attached to the buildings. And it just was very unique to any other sunset I'd seen. And every day would be like, okay, that's something I can start with and like work my way into being okay being here. It's something that's saying like, you did your best. This is the end of this day. And there's hope for tomorrow. Something, something like that. (laughs) Looking at the water even. Even if you're not doing anything, just sitting there and looking at it is really relaxing. Soothing. I would say, well, we went on a pretty long road trip this winter, and every large city we were in, I said to Dylan and Nate, why can't we stay here? This is where we should be. Why can't we be here? And I was just, I really thought that's what I wanted. And now that I'm back here, I don't know. It's nice to visit, but... I kind of like coming back to somewhere more quiet. It's a place where we can kind of mold our lives to the way we want instead of being constricted by uh, financial issues and True. It's a lot more affordable to live in a small town. Yeah. Also, every time I see the mailman, I feel like home because he's super friendly. (laughs) (laughs) He's a cool guy. He actually, I was walking the dog the other day and he stopped me like three streets away from my house to give me our mail because he thought we, we might want it early. <laughs> the mailman is, the mailman knowing you is a cool thing about living in a small town. He will he knows that we own Pico Taqueria and if there's ever a package that he's delivering to the house and he thinks it's going to rain, he'll just bring it to the taco stand so it doesn't sit out in the rain. See, that's amazing. I live in Brooklyn, yeah. and, like, people leave packages just out on the street, like, in front of the yeah. gate. <laughs> and your mailman doesn't know you, you know? I've never lived in a place where the mailman actually knew who you were. He actually brought packages to work last week because he said, I saw you've gotten new neighbors, and I didn't have a chance to meet them yet, so I didn't want to leave anything out. Yeah. Okay, come on. That's adorable. Yeah. I <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, I mean, the neighbors, of course, are fine, but but as far just as we the, know, as far as we know, but <laughs> but just the fact that he brought the packages that he he was thinking about you, he cared, and that's something different from most places. He's also helping me find a cleaning lady. The mailman is a very active part <laughs> of our lives. Thanks, George. Nate and I have a dog, and we walk her at least once a day, but. We, uh, we like to walk her at night after we get home, so it's usually around 10 o'clock, 10.30, and it's just kind of nice to walk, and the streets are quiet, and I don't know, it's re- you can relax a little bit. And it's actually dark, and you can see stars. Yeah. Yeah. This is Laura and Morgan. Laura runs a food blog out of her house called Tide in Time. It's actually how I found her. 
She produces recipes for national restaurants and just experiments with different local foods. Now, Morgan and Laura used to hate each other. You see, Morgan dated Laura's husband in high school, but fortunately over the last 20 years they've been able to get over that and become fast friends. Today's Morgan's birthday, and they're celebrating, I believe, by having drinks on Laura's back porch. I vacationed on Chingatig as a little girl. As long as I can remember, we had a seasonal site at Tom's Cove Campground. It's like a travel trailer that stayed there all year, and um, we'd come every weekend. I grew up um, outside of Annapolis, Maryland, and I moved here my senior year of high school, actually, so... I've been here like 20 years now. My dad was in the Coast Guard, so I was born in Newport, Rhode Island, but we've spent majority of my life here, minus five years. Growing up in a small community is hard. Um, you feel like you live in a fishbowl sometimes, where everybody knows everybody and you can't make a move without your parents knowing exactly where you are, or what you're doing. As an adult, I love it. I've enjoyed raising my kids here, so. I know exactly what's going on all the time. Um, it really does take a whole community to raise a family, and we have that here. You kind of feel like you live in your own little bubble here, away from the outside world. Do you ever think there's hazard in that? Um, quite possibly. Um, I probably don't have the life experiences that some people have where I've mainly been here all my life. Why don't we talk about the ponies? We love them. We enjoy celebrating Pony Penning Week. It's as big of a deal as Christmas The tradition here. of it. Right, just everybody comes home, you know, that you haven't seen in years. Everybody, you can always count on seeing everybody that week, you know. You don't really see them so much any other time of year except that one. So, but also, I mean, for me, you make so many friends doing it too through the years that aren't necessarily from here that come on vacation just that one week, um, you know, and you look forward to seeing those too. A certain amount of ponies are selected every year. They're only allowed to maintain 150 over at the wildlife refuge. So to keep that number down, they take the babies every year and auction them off at the auction. I got a pony in 1996 and I ended up getting too big for her. So I ended up gifting her to these two little girls that loved her and braided stuff into her hair but a certain um stallion or a certain color or a certain thing that they want to put back into the herd they'll select i mean how many is it 15 yeah 15 to 20 15 probably. to 20 foals that are, are auctioned off and folks pay the money and then that pony goes to live um wild on the island for the rest of its life so that's pretty special and a lot of people do that there are a lot of groups that have gotten involved with it um so that's something special that they've been doing for the past probably 15 or 20 years now that um, has been popular. So it sounds like this program is more about regulating the pony population than anything else? Yes. Yep. That's totally pretty much um, the point of it. Okay. Because when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, that's a little disconcerting that they're like penning up all these wild ponies, but that makes more sense. Oh, yeah. Well, Pony Penny, it's really, you know, a PETA and... uh, organizations like that have gotten involved over the years and say that the fire department doesn't take care of the horses or whatever, but those guys are out there in the dead of winter taking hay and breaking, you know, fresh water sources for those horses. I mean, they're taking care of 
everything. <laughs> yeah, everything. They get farrier care and veterinary care. So they're it's not like they're just a wild population of horses. They're still um, given the utmost care and respect that many of our wild horse populations in this country um, don't see. So that's something that they do that I don't think anybody can knock them on because they do take really good care of the ponies. Do you guys ever feel isolated? Yeah, but you know, the thing is, technology and stuff like that has really changed it so much, too. You know what I mean? Stuff like this, Skype, and uh, I mean, we'll take day trips and things like that to Mm -hmm. Virginia Beach. I grew up, like I said, just out of sight of Annapolis and D.C., so I was definitely aware of city slicker life before (laughs) I, I moved here, so I appreciate the the little things here, you know, the not have to worry about the crime and slower pace and everybody knows everybody. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass sometimes, you know, I mean, people are up in your business and everybody knows everything, but I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not getting into too much trouble. So <laughs> yeah, I have to say it's funny. I, you know, I'm from, I grew up in cities and suburbs mostly. And, you know, we took this trip and I think when you're from the city, you kind of discount small towns. Mm-hmm. And right. as we were on the road, we started really seeing, you know, I hate to negate one population of America or, you know, compare two populations, but really, like, what feels like America resides largely in small towns. Right. What's left, the, you know, and I, it's the traditions, I think. The You know, we try to keep things slightly a couple generations behind maybe it's still a different way of thinking here a lot of the times sometimes good sometimes not so good right and things are starting to change here you know what i mean and i don't feel like it's for the worst yet Uh, for somebody like me who likes to cook i'm always going on you know our grocery store here on shingatake has really improved you know it used to be (laughs) that i would have to drive all the way to salisbury Virginia Beach for a certain specialty ingredient, you know, and now nine times out of town, I can find it right here on Chingatig, and that's that's really saying something, you know, because um, it wasn't like that for a long time. It was bad, so. Yeah, how do you think the island has changed over the years for you? I don't know. I, I think that we're still in the early in the early stages. I mean, it's changed okay. a lot. I mean, yeah. it used to be a complete water town. There was no tourism here. And no. The only work that people had was you know, oystering and crabbing and, and waterman's work. Now it's changed where it's mainly geared towards tourism. And you see a lot of our water industry has died off as a result of that. And that's really a shame. Um, but at the same time with the popularity of, uh, locally sourced ingredients and things like that, you're seeing a, a a resurgence in that, you know, when I mean, oyster farming and things like that, uh, a lot of people are returning to that simpler way of life and also i've i mean i've met a lot of young families um who are starting to move here from dc and things like that who are able to do their work through telecommunication Uh i mean my husband works for nasa out at ames research facilities so he works doing work in california from right here on chingatig i mean the advancements in um technology and things like that have made it um a lot easier for people to be able to do their work you know from wherever well, that's what I find really interesting in doing this podcast is I feel like Gen Xers and millennials really have this thirst for community and also, like you were saying, you know, local, buying local, participating at a local level. And mm-hmm. I think the change in the way we work and, you know, technology has made 
has created kind of this paradigm shift where people not only want to, but are able to leave the big cities and move to small towns and, and kind of maintain their same career trajectories. Right. That's the thing, too. I mean, the commu- the sense of community is overwhelming. It's really a wonderful area here. And um, I went to Los Angeles a couple years ago uh, to visit my mother-in-law. And it was so funny. I mean, people just, they don't look each other in the eye, you know? <laughs> I, I, I mean, they thought I was some weirdo because, I, I mean, you wave to everybody here, whether you know them or not, you know, you you wave to people on a back road or, you know. Yeah, my family commented on that from Connecticut recently over Christmas, how everybody waved and spoke and said hello and held the door. And right. you just don't see that other places, so I weird, guess. It was so though, in L.A. I mean, because people, they thought I was a crazy person. They were looking at me like I was nuts because I, I was, you know, smiling and looking them in the eye. And it's not like anybody was mean, but I just seems like everybody's so disconnected from each other and i don't know i feel like we're all connected in a way and is there a place in shikatigue that feels like it really kind of encompasses the whole island to you that makes you feel like yes this is home to me mine might be captain chandler like up in the yeah. north end which is not really water or anything <laughs> around it leave it to weirdo me to choose a grape site <laughs> <laughs> So tell me what what exactly is Captain Chandler's? Uh, it's a sea captain that was died in the late 1800s. He, I guess, struck from what lightning. I heard, yeah, the mast pole of his ship was struck by lightning, and he touched it and died and got electrocuted. And he's buried. It's this lone gravesite up on the north end of Chincoteague, pretty much as far as you can go before it's uh, private property. Um, so the public road ends and it's like a semicircle where you turn around and it's a grave site and it's a really odd inscription too. You have it on your Instagram. Yeah, I have it on my Instagram somewhere. I can (laughs) dig up a picture for you if you want, but it, it just says, you know, I'm not dead, but sleeping here and referencing his family that he'll see him again one day. It's it's just an interesting spot and people have always left coins. Uh, Yeah, there's a deer's head on it right now. It used to be a superstition, I think, about that if you left money and oh, drove well, around three times or something would, like that. He would pop up or something. He would but, pop you up. Know, but I've never felt, I've always gone there. Some um, teenage legend there for you. With love and reverence in mind. And I feel like Captain Chandler has always brought me good luck. So I always stop by and leave a little something, you know, a little love. I mean, it's lovely to have town lore, I guess. Yeah, and there's there's a a lot of it. I'm sure there's a lot of it. We've always wanted to do, there's a guy who does um, ghost tours all around the shore, but he comes to Shingatig once in a while. I think we're going to hop on that train next time we go, because I think that would be a fun night, fun girls' night out. (laughs) You know, I fantasize about living in a small town all the time. Um, In fact, if it weren't for my partner's career, I probably would have pushed for it a little more. Do you ever fantasize Mm -hmm. about living in a city or what your life how it might be different no (laughs) i've been to enough cities you know and stuff for like we went to manhattan a couple years ago too for a few days and it just like i said after a day or two i'm ready to i'm done my dad retired when i was 12 and we had a family discussion about where we wanted to go and my mom wanted to go back to Satellite Beach in Florida, where we had been stationed previously. And my dad and I outvoted her to come back home. 
I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. I really couldn't. I don't think city life, I'm cut out for it. Maybe because I've been here so long, the hustle and the bustle makes me a little nervous sometimes. It is, and really everybody's still all up in your shit. Yeah, yeah. in a city too. I mean, they might not be paying attention to what you're doing, (laughs) but you know, they're still right up next to you. I don't know, waking up every morning and seeing a wall outside my window or... I mean, I'm literally, we can, I go and I can get a picture of the sunrise over the ocean Mm -hmm. in three minutes and I can go and get a sunset over the bay in one minute. It's fun to think about, but I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a pretty sweet deal. Pretty sweet, pretty sweet, (laughs) sweet, sweet life by the salty sea, baby. Yeah, that's another thing, too. The internet is horrible here. Like, Verizon has a monopoly power guys here. Something on high-speed internet. Oh, we're losing okay. power. All right, we're getting ready to lose power and internet. I guess that's it. <laughs> All right, see you, Josh. Bye. So I went on to Laura's Instagram and found that picture of the plaque at Captain Chandler's. And this is what it says. Farewell, wife and children dear. I am not dead but sleeping here. As I am, some of you will be. Prepare for both and follow me. Thanks for joining me again on another trip to small town America. Our Americana is an independent podcast and there are many ways you can show support. The easiest is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That helps create more visibility and and lets other podcast listeners find Our Americana on iTunes. You can also sponsor the podcast either on a weekly basis at patreon.com slash ouramericana or via a one-time donation at paypal.com slash joshhallmark. Your sponsorship helps keep the podcast alive and running successfully, hopefully on a weekly basis. Thanks again for listening. Please join me again in a week and a half when we head west. I'm Josh Hallmark, and this is Our Americana. For more information on this week's episode, head to our-americana.com backslash podcast. Music for this episode was provided by Alex Fitch, Dave Depper, Poddington Bear, and Will Bangs. And then if you're a saltwater cowboy, you go to AJ's. And what, pray tell, is a saltwater cowboy? They're the ones that wrangle the ponies. They're the volunteer firemen. Volunteer firemen who pen the ponies. They call themselves saltwater cowboys. (laughs) Yeah, people who are from here and live here refer to themselves as teagers and refer to everyone else as (laughs) come-heres. Yeah, they refer to it as the mainland and the island. Yeah, across the bay. Across Um, the bay and down, down the county. You're either from the island or you live in the county, down the county. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.